Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 57 is from a series called Poet's Corner, entitled Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, Part 1, The Pledge. Welcome again to a selection from Poet's Corner. The subject of this podcast is from one of my all-time favorite stories from the King Arthur Tales of the Knights of the Round Table. It tells the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The tale is from 14th century England, originally written in the Middle Ages. The translation I used is by Jesse Weston, dated 1898. The author of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is that ubiquitous writer, the invisible Anonymous, sometimes referred to as the Pearl Poet. I know that I cannot do justice to the poem. It is for all people in all ages, recognized for its genius in every age, and the fabric never wears thin. I shall divide the epic poem into four parts, each presented in a separate podcast. Part one is entitled, The Pledge, in which Sir Gawain makes a covenant with the Green Knight to come to his Green Chapel in a year's time to have his head cut off. Part two is entitled, The Quest, in which Sir Gawain takes the long and treacherous journey to find the Green Chapel. Part three is entitled, The Three Temptations, which forever determine the fate of Sir Gawain. And part four is entitled, Justice, in which Sir Gawain submits himself to the acts of the Green Knight, and justice is served. The journey into the unknown is a journey we all take. As with any Christian epic, the author strives to teach us how to prepare for that journey. The story could be entitled, The Anatomy of Temptation. Sir Gawain, King Arthur's nephew, is the youngest knight in King Arthur's court. He is the son or son-in-law every Christian mother would like to have. In that lawless time, the only safety people had was the knight's code. It was a strong mixture of chivalry and Christian virtues. In Spencer's The Fairy Queen, King Arthur is almost a Christ figure who represents all the virtues. The knights of the round table are extensions of those virtues. The story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight begins at Christmastide. From Christmas Eve till after New Year's Day, Linda, as always, will read from Mr. Weston's translation. King Arthur lay at Camelot upon a Christmas tide, with many a gallant lord and lovely lady, and all the noble brotherhood of the round table. There they held rich revels with gay talk and jest, one while they would ride forth to joust and tourney, and again back to the court to make carols. For there was the feast holden fifteen days, with all the mirth that men could devise, songs and glee glorious to hear in the daytime, and dancing at night. Halls and chambers were crowded with noble guests, the bravest of knights and the loveliest of ladies, and Arthur himself was the comeliest king that ever held a court. For all this fair folk were in their youth the fairest and most fortunate under heaven, and the king himself, of such fame that it were hard now to name so valiant a hero. While the noble knights were sitting around the round table telling tall tales, a very strange monster appears, dressed all in green. Even his horse is dressed in green. As the sound of the music ceased, and the first course had been fitly served, there came in at the hall door one terrible to behold, of stature greater than any on earth, from neck to loin so strong and thickly made, and with limbs so long and so great that he seemed even as a giant. And yet he was but a man, only the mightiest that might mound a steed, 
broad of chest and shoulders and slender of waist and all his features of like fashion. But men marveled much at his color, for he rode even as a knight, yet he was green all over. The knight came in peace and was not dressed for war. The knight bore no helm nor halbrook, neither gorget nor breastplate, neither shaft nor buckler to smite nor to shield. But in one hand he had a holly bough that is greenest when the groves are bare, and in his other an axe, huge and uncomely, a cruel weapon in fashion if one would picture it. The head was an ellyard long, the metal olive-green steel and gold, the blade burnished bright with a broad edge, as well sharpened to shear as a sharp razor. The steel was set into a strong staff, all bound round with iron, even to the end, and engraved with green and cunning work. A lace was twined about it, that looped at the head, and all adown the handle it was clasped with tassels, on buttons of bright green richly broidered. The bold knight, however, commands everyone's attention, as much by his manner as by his strange look. The knight rideth through the entrance of the hall, driving straight to the high dais, and greeted no man but looked ever upwards, and the first words he spake were, Where is the ruler of this folk? I would gladly look upon that hero and have speech with him. Arthur, unruffled, kindly greets the great green monster. Then Arthur beheld this adventurer before his high dais, and knightly he greeted him, for fearful was he never. Sir, he said, thou art welcome to this place, lord of this hall am I, and men call me Arthur. Light thee down and tarry a while, and what thy will is, that shall we learn after. The green knight, however, comes straight to the point. Nay, quoth the stranger, so help me, he that sitteth on high. T'was not my errand to tarry any while in this dwelling. But the praise of this thy folk and thy city is lifted up on high, and thy warriors are holden for the best and most valiant of those who ride mail-clad to the fight. The wisest and the worthiest of this world are they, and well proven in all knightly sports. And here, as I have heard tell, is fairest courtesy. Therefore have I come hither as at this time. Ye may be sure by the branch that I bear here that I come in peace, seeking no strife. For had I will to journey in warlike guise, I have at home both hauberk and helm, shield and shining spear, and other weapons to mine hand. But since I seek no war, my raiment is that of peace. But if thou be as bold as all men tell, thou wilt freely grant me the boon I ask. Arthur, however, is still unruffled. And Sir Arthur answered, Sir Knight, if thou cravest battle here, thou shalt not fail for lack of a foe. The boastful green knight's speech is full of sarcasm and irony. He makes the strangest challenge the knights of the round table have ever heard. He offers to let anyone chop off his head, if in a year's time they will come to his green chapel and let him chop off their head. When no one answers, he mocks the court. What? Is this Arthur's Hall, and these the knights whose renown hath run through many realms? Where are now your pride and your conquests, your wrath and anger and mighty words, 
Now are the praise and the renown of the round table overthrown by one man's speech, since all keep silence for dread ere ever they have seen a blow. In anger, King Arthur sprang to his feet and confronted the Green Knight. However, thinking that such a challenge from so rude a giant was beneath the king, Sir Gawain persuaded his uncle to let him accept the challenge, being the least of the knights. The other knights all agreed, and they persuaded King Arthur to yield the axe to Sir Gawain. In fairness to the other knights and to King Arthur, they did not think that the rude green knight was worthy of them, and they undoubtedly saw it as a kind of humiliation to the green knight that they would send the weakest, and on the practical side, Sir Gawain was given the first blow, which was all it took to take off the green knight's head. It was seen as no more than a display of their skill with the axe. It was more like an execution. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight respectfully entered into a covenant. The Green Knight charged Sir Gawain to make a solemn covenant to meet him at the Green Chapel in one year's time. Sir Gawain agrees. But when Sir Gawain asked him where the Green Chapel was and promised that he would use all of his wit to find it, the Green Knight's answer was nebulous. That is enough in the new year. It needs no more, quoth the Green Knight to the gallant Gawain. If I tell thee truly when I have taken the blow, and thou hast smitten me, then will I teach thee of my house and home, and mine own name. Then mayest thou ask thy road, and keep covenant. And if I waste no words, then farthest thou be better, for thou canst dwell in thy land, and seek no further. But take now thy toll, and let's see how thy strikest. Gladly will I, quoth Gwain, handling his axe. Now we have the bizarre beheading scene. Then the green knight swiftly made him ready. He bowed down his head and laid his long locks on the crown that his bare neck might be seen. Gawain gripped the axe and raised it on high. The left foot he set forward on the floor and let the blow fall lightly on the bare neck. The sharp edge of the blade sundered the bone, smote through the neck and clave it in two so that the edge of the steel bit on the ground, and the fair head fell to the earth that many struck it with their feet as it rolled forth. To the other knights who saw the head of the less-than-jolly green giant roll across the floor, the game was over. However, they misjudged the green knight. It had not occurred to them that magic and weird wizardry was afoot. The blood spurted forth and glistened on the green raiment, but the knight neither faltered nor fell. He started forward with outstretched hand and caught the head and lifted it up. Then he turned to his steed and took hold of the bride, set his foot in the stirrup and mounted. His head he held by the hair in his hand. Then he seated himself in the saddle as if naught ailed him and he was not headless. He turned his steed about, the grim corpse bleeding freely the while, and they who looked upon him doubted them much for the covenant. Suddenly things got serious, and a feeling of foreboding filled the hall. The stage grew from bizarre to even more bizarre. For he held up the head in his hand and turned the face toward them that sat on the high dais, and it lifted up the eyelids and looked upon them and spake as ye shall hear. One can only imagine the consternation of the knights of the round table as the headless knight began to speak. Look, Wayne, that thou art ready to go as thou hast promised, and seek Laali till thou find me, even as thou hast sworn in this hall in the hearing of these knights. 
Come thou, I charge thee, to the green chapel, such a stroke as thou hast dealt thou hast deserved, and it shall be promptly paid thee on New Year's morn. Many men know me as the knight of the green chapel, and if thou askest, thou shalt not fail to find me. Therefore it behooves thee to come or to yield thee as recreant. And this, of course, is the true challenge. Sir Gawain is not compelled by force of law to keep his covenant. Even though he was played upon by the crafty green knight, who, sustained as he was by the evil magic of Morgan Le Fay, half-sister to King Arthur, knew the axe had no power. Sir Gawain, being mortal, would instantly be killed under the green knight's axe. The question is, should Sir Gawain keep covenant with an unequal monster who had played unfairly in the fight? Sir Gawain is bound by the knight's code. The Green Knight, who was under no such obligation, knew, however, that Sir Gawain would be bound by his code. He was confident that Sir Gawain, without compulsion, would keep his covenant. It is not about justice. It is about personal honor. With that, he turned his bridle and galloped out of the hall door, his head in his hands, so that the sparks flew from beneath the horse's hoofs. Whither he went, none knew, nor more than they wist whence he had come. The knights pretend that all is well, even though they know it isn't. And the king and Gwaine, they gazed and laughed, for in sooth this had proved a greater marvel than any they had known aforetime. Though Arthur the king was astonished at his heart, yet he let no sign of it be seen, but spake in courteous wise to the fair queen. Dear lady, be not dismayed. Such craft is well suited to Christmas tide when we seek jesting, laughter, and song, and fair carols of knights and ladies. But now I may well get me to meet, for I have seen a marvel I may not forget. Then he looked on Sir Gawain and said gaily, Now, fair nephew, hang up thine axe, since it has hewn enough where all men might look on it for a marvel, and by its true token tell of the wonder. Then the twain sat them down together, the king and the good knight, and men served them a double portion, as was the share for the noblest. With all manner of meat and of minstrelsy, and they spent that day in gladness, but Sir Gawain, must well bethink him of the heavy venture to which he had set. The real test of knighthood now begins for Sir Gawain. However, there is no hesitation. He will keep his covenant. The story is in the journey. Part 2, entitled The Quest, which we will cover in our future podcast, is about Sir Gawain's long journey to find the Green Chapel. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.